You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I am your host, Brent Berger, for this episode, and I'm joined by Juan Pons. Juan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Brent. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to, to this show and talking about some new stuff coming out. Yeah, Sony just released the A7S III, and that's the primary purpose of our of our talk today. And we're also going to have a few other things, because you've got a few things that I wanted to pick your brain on with Sony Stuffs. And I think my biggest reason for that is, certainly longtime listeners will probably remember, I have a Sony A6400. I also have a Canon 5D Mark IV. And I've been kind of on a journey myself trying to think, you know, what, what am I going to do when I buy my next camera? I know it's going to be mirrorless. So that means I'm going to end up eventually buying all new lenses. So if I stick with Canon, I stick with Canon. If I jump to Sony or someone else, you know, that's that's fine. And so having um, a greater conversation about what Sony is doing and stuff like that, I know it'll help me and it'll help uh, possibly a lot of others. But another thing is, all of us on the Master Photography Network here, all of us partners, are Canon shooters. And to bring in someone like yourself who's a Sony shooter, I'm just really pleased to, to have you here. Thank you so much. And we're going to have a great discussion here about this new camera. Well, you know, I was a Canon shooter for over 20 years. So, okay. you know, I, I know, you know, the pitfalls and the advantages of both systems intimately. So Awesome, um, awesome. So, you know, and, and you know, the, the, and the thing is nowadays, you know, I would say probably, you know, six months ago, um, if you were a Canon shooter, you were disadvantaged, right? Because the Canon offerings and the mirrorless were kind of, eh. Yeah. When now the new releases, you know, these look really good. So who knows? You know, I think it's still, um, the jury is still out. We, you know, we haven't seen this camera out in the wild. Only people, you know, the, the, I'm talking about the Canon cameras, the new Canon cameras, only you know, uh, professional reviewers online right. are the ones who have had experience with this camera. So I'm kind of eager to get hands-on with this camera out in the field in the real world to see what, what it looks like. Yeah, and their new lenses with a 6 and 800 millimeter lenses, fixed F11s, you know, in one sense, I'm just like, mm. uh, but in another sense, what about that reach? That's amazing. And you know, talk about handheld yeah. abilities and stuff like that. There's just so many cool things that, I could think about grabbing with that. Now, I just had you on. I just released an episode on the Latitude Photography Podcast where you and I talked about shooting in Costa Rica and right. some of the great bird photography and other things that were going on there. But, you know, you were using that Canon 200 to 600 lens and, or excuse me, you Sony, Sony, Sony. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'll say it again, the Sony 200 to 600 lens. <laughs> And, you know, as it was in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, yeah, that Canon 800 would millimeter would be pretty sweet down there. Well, yes and no, because of the aperture F11. I hear you. you know, that's that's the biggest challenge, you know, especially like we talked about in the rainforest, you know, yeah. you, you're in the jungle. It's so dark in there. If you're shooting at F11, yeah. your ISO is going to be through the stratosphere. Um, well, so, it, yeah. And the convenience of a zoom too is you can't beat yes. that, and so you know right. the only thing Canon has now is the one or yeah one to five hundred for their RF mount, which is right. you know pretty close Looks to what awesome. Sony's doing with the two to six hundred. You know, if I were to make a decision purely on that, 
I got to say, I'm really tempted by that Sony 2 to 600 because that to me is a lens of where it's at. Yeah, I well, I mean, that extra reach of the 500 or 600 is crucial. Like, I, mean, yeah. I think it's, I think it's, I would rather have that than have the 100 to 200 reach, yeah. so to speak. Um, yeah. Because that 100 to 200, you get in a lot of other lenses and expensive lenses. You know, the, the cool thing about it, and I know we're going to talk Sony, but uh, to diverge here a little bit more on the Canon side, those two lenses, the 600 and the 800, you know, they're great, I think, for people who want to dip their toe. Yeah. into super telephoto lenses, into wildlife photography, because they're inexpensive. Right. You know, they have a fixed aperture, meaning the aperture doesn't change. It's always F11. You cannot go higher or lower, nothing. Um, so, you know, it, it's good from that perspective, you know, just knowing that you're going to have to bump that ISO up. But for my money, I think that 100 to 500 is going to be yeah. the lens to have yeah. uh, on, the, on the Sony RF line. Yeah. Because and- I can an RF line. See, <laughs> now no, you're messing up. All right. Yeah, I I also think I remember both of those lenses don't have a tripod collar, and I don't think the design would allow for it because of the way that they uh, compact. And something that long, I would still want the option of easily putting it on a tripod. Yeah. Now, you might say, oh, it's light enough, you know, just mount the camera. Something that big, I still want the lens to be, you know, the, the thing that's mounted to the tripod. Anyway... We could probably yeah, I mean, go ideally much you further. Do. You, I mean, you're right. I think ideally you want to have that option. Ideally, you want to use a tripod. It's certainly a huge advantage not having to use a tripod right, because right. you can be much more, you know, responsive and flexible and fast and nimble, all that kind of stuff. But you know, there are times when you would want that tripod, especially in low light situations, right? Right. And you know, when you're dealing with the f11. And you're shooting low light, which is what we do mostly with wildlife in most cases. You know, having that flexibility, I think it, it's crucial. I think you're right. Having, uh, I think that's a big omission. Maybe there'll be some third party uh, offerings out there. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, certainly. All right. So let's move on to the Sony A7S3. And so they've announced long this awaited. Long, yes, it really has been. I know as I was thinking, you know, in, in what will I do? Will I wait for the A7S3? Because the A7S line is you know, tends to be the low light master kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought they would up the resolution, but they didn't. And anyway, so I wanted to talk about this and just kind of get the, a few of the specs out there. Certainly we've got a couple of links here in the show notes. Listeners can click on those and go take a look at all of the specs. We're going to talk about and highlight some of the ones that pretty much make this camera at least a, a little unique, if not a lot unique. And first thing, though, we should probably cover is, you know, this is a photography show and this camera, who is it exactly? Who do you think it's exactly targeted towards? Well, you know, it, it, it's clear. And even if you look at the, the marketing by Sony, this is a video camera first and foremost. Yeah. Um, it's a video camera in the shape of a, you know, stills camera. But it's really focused towards, you know, people who are primarily videographers and they need to occasionally shoot, um, you know, stills. Sure. But it's also geared towards the people who need that low light, super incredible low light capability. You know, it could be astrophotographers, as long as it doesn't need stars like some of the other Sony cameras that people complain about. Um, you know, people like wedding photographers. Um, and obviously, you know, people on social media, because, you know, when you're posting on social media, 
12 megapixels is way more than oh, you yeah. need to post on Instagram or Facebook or wherever. Yeah. Um, you know, going above that, it's, 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 it's kind of ludicrous when you're going to be throwing away so much of that resolution. So um, I think first and foremost, it is a video camera. People who are really into video. But if your primary uh, medium is stills um, and you're not really into the super low light stuff because that's what you do, you know, then this camera is not for you, I would think. I think you're better off with the A7 or the A7R or yeah. one of those two for sure. sure. Okay, sounds good. And so those uh, links that we're referencing come from alphauniverse.com. That's a Sony done website, Sony created website. And then we also have some info coming from DP Review. All right, so let's take a look at a few of these uh, spec-related items. And one of the things, you know, we've got a, a bunch in here. Basically, new, newly developed image processor. I think we kind of expect some stuff like that. Ultra-high sensitivity, 40 to 409,600 ISO. And that's incredible. That's... Almost half a million. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just silly. It's just insane. It's, it really is silly. I mean, how much more can you pump it up is really what they're... <laughs> <laughs> really what they're doing right, there right but i mean this does bring into the conversation you know that 40 on the low end that's an extension from the base iso of 80 is that important to any of us because most cameras the base iso is 100 fujis have a base iso usually of 200 so what's the what's the deal with the base iso of 80 um yeah i mean it, typically the sensor uh, manufacturer when the sensor is manufactured that's what sets the baseline it's not some arbitrary number it's based on the silicon itself yeah um and oftentimes you know even though a, a, a sensor may have a native baseline of you know 100 sorry let's say 60 the the manufacturer sets it to be 100 on in, on the software side and that's kind of a detrimental in a lot of ways so the fact that they're just giving you right to where the baseline is is kind of a nod to image quality saying you know if you want the absolute best you're going to make sure that you use the baseline iso um but you know one thing that i as i was looking at the stuff that was coming out and again you know, most of the information that's out there nowadays it's by professional re reviewers which right. i always take with a big grain of salt because oftentimes they're out chasing their cats around their house, taking pictures to find out how, <laughs> right. how well the camera works. They're not using it in real-world scenarios in most cases. Sometimes they are. And that's because they're in you know, time constraints, right? They get the camera. They need to get the reviews done before the announcement, the official announcement is made and whatnot. Um, but one of the neat things that I saw as some of these reviewers was that people think, even though Sony didn't say this, that this camera has a dual ISO. Um, because if you look at the image quality, you know, uh, as you ramp up the ISO, when you get to 16,000, the, the image quality dramatically improves even over 6,400, for example. Interesting, yeah. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see once this camera does come out there into the hands of a lot more people. You know what exactly all these different ISO settings are going to provide you? Huh? Yeah, very interesting. And yeah, the way uh, Sony calls it, super clean at sixteen thousand. That's their marketing right. speak. So yeah, it, it'll be very interesting to see what that truly means. Good, good to know. Uh, certainly, the video capability, uh, capabilities, uh, what really what you expect: four K at one twenty, 
and um, 10 bit color. And again, this is the video stuff where I'm not super strong in it. And so to, <laughs> to, for me to say it is fine because I can yeah. read anything, right? But to go right, well, in, the alphabet in the, soup is insane. To go the in the in depth, <laughs> it's just like, well, <laughs> I'll leave that for someone else. Uh, for those of you yeah. who know what those mean and are interested in all that, awesome more power to you this next one i'm really interested in 15 plus as they call it 15 plus stops dynamic range for movies i i guess this is maybe what you're what we're talking about with that dual iso idea where they're taking maybe advantage of that super clean above sixteen thousand, and they're somehow expanding the capabilities there is what it seems like to me but they also say specifically for movies i'm wondering what they're doing with the stills yeah, I mean, again, most of the reviews that I've been looking at have been uh, focused on movies, yeah. because, on video, because that's what this camera is geared towards. Um, I, I'm kind of curious to see once it's available, what it will really do for stills, what the dynamic range will for stills. Um, you know, Sony's been in the past, I don't know, five, ten years in the forefront of image quality and dynamic range. Right. Um, and that's actually the primary reason why I moved from Canon over to Sony was really for the image quality and the dynamic range. I mean, since I moved to Sony, I hardly ever shoot HDRs anymore because you don't need, you know, you, the dynamic range is there and the image quality is there. You can expand the dynamic range in post-processing tremendously. So I would not be surprised if um, Sony has added some, you know, special juice or juju into yeah. that sensor yeah. to add that little bit more dynamic range now what that's going to do from a stills perspective i think the, the jury's still out they may have done something some special sauce really for for video um over over stills sure and then uh we get 4k 60p 16-bit radio <laughs> radio raw video <laughs> hdmi <laughs> output which again for video shooters this is probably exciting to have that huge data throughput on the hdmi port which also i thought it was interesting that's a full size hdmi port right which is great because not having to carry those little adapters i mean i do a lot of video work or used to do more but i still do quite a bit and having those little cables you always lose them you're like where is it they're at the bottom of the bag they're attached to somewhere you you leave them <laughs> wherever so having that uh, that full size hdmi is great and you know having that 16-bit raw video out I think it's, you know, a kind of a game changer. And Sony has been criticized for not having that for the longest time. You know, so uh, uh, Panasonic has had uh, that capability. Uh, Nikon has had that capability. Obviously, you need an external device that can record that. You know, and the, and the, the one out there that's the, the choice right now is the Automos uh, Ninja 5, I think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it does look like Sony is going to be coming out with their own external monitor recorder. Mm. Nice. Pretty soon, because you can see on the marketing, they kind of have a picture that looks like a new device. Um, they haven't announced it yet, I don't think. Um, but you know, you know, talking about this alphabet soup, um, I knew a little bit of it. You know, I, I'm not again, you know, super deep into the video, but I do quite a bit of it. And you know, having that depth, that 10 bit 422 uh, color depth, is important for when you're doing grading. Right sure. when you are, and grading is equivalent of what we do in 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 uh, stills as to post processing right. is the way you can actually change the colors in the scene, and um and in video the video world is kind of strange in that you actually use these sort of profiles, um, 
these gamma profiles that allow the raw file to save more data, if you will, or or flatten out the contrast in the scene so that then when you do grade, you have more insight into those shadows and into those highlights of the scene. Now, what happens is when you take that image out and you look at it, it looks like it went through a puddle yeah, <laughs> um, because it looks brown and kind of mushy and stuff. But once you do the grading, the images come out, come out beautiful. So having that that um, 10-bit and 16-bit re- external recording, it's recording at, uh, at shooting at 422 color depth is huge for people who want the absolute in image quality and uh, the ability to grade their, their video. Absolutely. Good. Now they have their AF system, 759-point phase detection AF sensors covering 92% of the sensor. You know, I compare this to the Canon that's got just you know a couple thousand or more i forget what it is on the r5 but this i think for this line of camera it was the first time for phase detection to come in and you know 92 percent. i look at that uh, and i would shrug my shoulders uh, compared to others that offer 100 percent. it's just like nice to have the 100 percent. but at least we got 92 this is this is pretty decent to me as far as i'm concerned but i have a feeling too this is partly because when it does shoot video it crops in just a tiny bit on right. that sensor and so when you're shooting video it would be nearly i would think 100 percent of your coverage on that yeah i think i think you're right i think it would be nearly nearly 100 percent because it does uh, crop by i think 10 percent or yeah, something I like think that it was, when yeah. it does shoot video so yeah um yeah i mean i you know again i think that uh uh going all the way out to the edge oftentimes is a double-edged sword um, because as you know, the closer you are to the edge, the more angle the light is coming into that sensor. Right. And therefore, by design, those sensors are not as accurate or as responsive in autofocusing. Right. So having those sensors right out to the edge, to me, you know, it's a nice thing to have, but it's definitely by far not a deal breaker. Sure. Let's see. Enhanced real-time AF for for IAF, I should say, for movie recording and image recording, and then new heat dissipating mechanism and dual slot relay recording. And we're going to talk more about relay recording, or we can talk about it now if you want. It enables over one hour long 4K 60p 10-bit 422 movie shooting. So basically what they're getting at is 40K 60p at all that color bit is going to be a huge file. And because you've got this relay recording, they've got you covered with lots of time out there shooting in the field with it. So what it sounds like to me. Well, yeah, I mean, and actually it's kind of neat in the way that uh, Sony has implemented this relay recording. And relay recording, for those that don't know what it is, it basically allows you to um, you, you know, uh, tell the camera to record to one card. And when that card fills up, it will automatically switch over to the second card and continue recording. You know, this is, I do this a lot when I'm shooting stills, um, but do now you can do this with video on the A7S III. But what's even more impressive is that you can hot swap the cards out. So Ooh. let's say, for example, you fill card one, you know, and it the camera automatically swaps to card two. You can, while it's still filming, you can remove card one out, put another card in that slot, and the camera will then flip back to card one. I like so, that. So, which is which seems to be just incredible, and that that in combination with the fact that, and I think we have that on the list later on, the fact that you can power the camera now, uh, pretty much a hundred percent via the USB, right, 
um, means that you can basically your, your recording time is unlimited because right. this camera does not have any artificial limitations on recording time. I think the Canon has a 30 minute uh, limit on the video. Sony has no limit. Yeah. It, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, the, the hot swap. Now, that's interesting stuff. And for my experience with my shooting with dual cards, I just have actually never done it because when I switched from the 5D, the original 5D to the 6D, I went from CF cards to the SD cards and each camera only had one slot. And mm -hmm. then when I went to the uh, 5D Mark IV, it's got an SD card and a CF card. I didn't have any CF cards. So it was just like... <laughs> That's useless to me. And uh, so I just always run with a single SD card. And so this whole idea of, you know, people getting after Canon for not putting two card slots in the EOS R and uh, whatever else is just like, I look at it and be like, well, for me, it doesn't ha really hasn't changed my experience at all. It wouldn't make a difference. Uh, something like this, though, especially if I were doing video, that'd be very interesting. But even just common shooting to set it up like that, to just go from one card to the next, it would be... I, I could see that being a huge advantage uh, for all day shoot. I mean, you, there would be no reason to open that card slot as far as I'm concerned. You put a couple of 64 gigs in there or whatever, there'd be no reason for opening that card slot and, and just keep shooting all day. Well, you know, it, it, there's also more advantages to the relay shoot than, than really shooting to have multiple card slots, right? One is that you could have it as a backup so sure. that people who are paranoid about the camera, they're, they're, their, their cards and making sure that they don't have any corruption or cards don't go bad. You can write the two cards at the same time. Or if you work in a situation where you're shooting RAWs and JPEGs and you need to work quickly with the JPEGs, like I, I know some wedding photographers do that, right? They'll shoot both so that they'll have JPEGs that they can use very quickly at the reception to do a slideshow. You can send, you know, JPEGs to one card and RAW images to the other. So it's, so it's multiple ways. But I will tell you, I have used the relay a number of times, even though my cards nowadays are really big, you know, 64 to 128 gig cards. Yeah. There have been situations where, you know, when I was shooting a combination of special video and stills, I was filling up cards. And if I wasn't paying attention, I may have lost shots because the card filled up and the camera would have just like locked up if I didn't have a second card for the camera to relay into. And you need that, you know, right there because that time to change, you probably missed the shot. Oh, exactly. Well, that absolutely has happened to me before. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, I do appreciate the relay shot. You know, and the, and the interesting thing about the relay shot, the relay function is that even though Sony had the two slots, it wasn't until about a year, year and a half ago where they enabled relay recording. Interesting. Okay. Before that, you had to actually manually tell the camera to oh. switch from one slot to the other. Yeah. Wow. It's, it was stupid. So, but that's been fixed. Good, good. Yeah, because I know Canon has had the ability to put yes. your JPEGs on one and RAWs on another and stuff like that. But, you know, this with video now, that's just, yeah, for those that need that, boy, that's just going to be amazing. This next one, okay, it's got five axis in-body image stabilization. I think we expect that because, you know, what camera doesn't right. have that these days? Uh, for new cameras, I should say. This next one, though, was a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. World's brightest mm. and largest... 9.4 megapixel OLED viewfinder. You know, the the, the Panasonic's, yeah. the Canon R5, and um, probably, I think, the, the Leica S2. I, I could be wrong on this one. They've got a, like a 5.6 megapixel, whatever it is, uh, OLED viewfinder. And the people who use it are just like, it's phenomenal. 
but here we have yeah. almost 10 megapixels in that viewfinder. <laughs> what does that mean to you? And, and I don't know, you shoot the A7R4, what, what, how many megapixels is that? That's uh, 5.7. Yeah, so we're in the uh, same megapixels. class, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, it was a big difference when we went to like the three, I think it was three or two megapixels um, to five. That made a huge difference in right. image quality. But you can still see, especially in fine detail, you can still see the the pixels okay. if you will so i'm i'm all for that i mean i'm i that alone to me is huge the fact that your 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 image quality as you look into a viewfinder is that much better um you know and i think that that is going to be a huge difference going between you know uh between five megapixels to nine megapixels is going to be huge okay so um i the the brightest you know, whatever these these these. When you look into the viewfinder, you don't need a super bright viewfinder because they're and they're bright enough as they are. You typically, I don't have mine dialed all the way up. I have it about halfway. Okay. But the nine four four megapixel viewfinder, I think it's it's going to be huge. The image quality is going to be so much better, and I'm hoping that um, you know. And this is kind of going down into to like a little rabbit hole here when you look at the viewfinder of the Sony cameras. If you have the viewfinder of the A9, for example, that one is absolutely real-time all the time, meaning that when and it's a, a no-blackout viewfinder, right? So that right. when you're pressing that shutter, your your screen doesn't go black like it does with the DSLR or many other um, mirrorless. It's It looks, I mean, it looks like you're playing a video game almost. It's that much fun <laughs> okay. because you can keep your subject, you know, entirely in the viewfinder the entire time. The A7R 4 has something similar. It has a mode, a no blackout mode. It's not quite as good as the A9. The image quality is degraded to a certain extent, not on the file, but on the viewfinder. So the viewfinder loses color because it just can't keep up with the amount of information that's being sent. I think mm. the CPU on the camera itself just can't keep up. So it has to degrade the image quality that's sent to the viewfinder. Interesting. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, and I look at these things, you know, I, as I look at this camera, this camera is not for me. I'm not going to get an uh, A7S three, but I'm looking at these things, thinking, well, this is the stuff that's going to be in the new A7R five, right? When it comes out, and that viewfinder is probably one of the things that has me most excited about this list. Very cool, nice, good to know. Yeah, as I, the thing that really, then I, I look at that and I'm like, wow, that's going to be really sharp, really amazing. But then I look at what they did with their articulating screen and they limited that to 1.4 megapixels. And I'm just like, at least give us like three or so on that one because my A6400 has, I think it's just shy of one megapixel. I can't remember exactly what it is. But I really, you know, when I'm doing my landscapes, I'm almost always using the screen and it's just like that low of a resolution would just irk me. Again, this is not for landscapers, really. So I, I guess I can understand where they're coming from. Hopefully, in the A7R5, they'll put at least a three or so on the articulating screen, or if they have an articulating screen. But anyway, uh, back to our regular list. Um, dual CF Express Type A card slot. So I don't think any other camera has the Type A on CF Express. And the thing that is really interesting to me is these exact same card slots also fit SD cards in the same slot. Yeah, that is awesome because, you know, someone that moves onto this will be able to use their legacy SD cards, which, by the way, I dislike very, very much. I prefer the CF cards because they're more, you know, they're, 
they're a sturdier and right. more, you know, a rugged. So I'm actually looking forward to the CF Express cards because they are more rugged than the than the SD cards. Um, but it's great that they give you both abilities so that you can actually migrate from one to the other. You don't have to completely switch, especially because these cards are going to be expensive. Oh when they yes, first come out right. Yes, the 80 gig card. I want to say I saw a price of about 250 or 200 dollars, and the 160 gig Damn. cards was 400 dollars. And it's like, ouch, <laughs> that's going to yeah. set you back. Well, you know. You know, and the thing is that part of it is because they're so much faster, right? I shoot the fastest uh, Sony cards, um, SD cards, which are 300 megabit um, per second. You know, and they're great because you are able to empty out that buffer that much quicker. Right. Um, it's not so important for video, um, but it is so important for when you're shooting, you know, high frame rates on like the A9 or the A7R3 or 7R4. Um, so... Going beyond the 300 will be great as long as the camera can use that to actually offload the buffer. If it means that uh, I can offload my buffer in half the time, I- I'm all for that. You know, except that nowadays, like I know the A7R3 has a what 300 image buffer, raw image buffer. Yeah, I mean that's just insanity. You know, 300 well, <laughs> image buffer is just absolutely crazy. This one for stills. I was watching a, a YouTube video uh, by the fella Kai. I forget his exactly his yeah. channel but anyway everyone knows who kai is i'm sure and he commented on you can do i think it was 10 frames a second for a thousand raw frames that's insane <laughs> he's like i don't think anyone's going to do that but and i was yeah. like yeah well and you know the the resolution really isn't quite quote unquote there either because it's just a slight bit more than your 4k resolution so doing that at 10 frames a second, you know, you might as well just shoot your video, your, right. your, your 4K right. video. Yeah, remember, these are 12 megapixel files. So, right. you know, 10,000 frames is, is actually not that much when you compare it to like the A7R4, right. which is a 60 megapixel file. Ex- exactly. You know, and you're able to save 300 or so raw files. You, you know, that just gives you perspective. So, yeah. In fact, that item here is literally in the, uh, the show notes, I just noticed it in the show notes. I just didn't highlight it in red um, for our talking today. But yeah, 1,000 consecutive uncompressed raw images with full AF-AE tracking is how they put it, how Sony puts it. All right, a few other things that I'd noticed uh, as far as that wasn't immediately on the Sony list of items. It has a dedicated white balance sensor. I thought this was interesting, an external white balance sensor. Yeah, I wonder what that's all about. And I guess I, I have not heard that the first time I heard that. You know, it used to be, if you've been around digital photography for a while, the initial um, cameras, and I think on, on the last podcast we recorded together, we talked about, you know, how it was really early on on the digital yeah. uh, DSLR world. In those early cameras, the a white balance sensor was an external white balance sensor. It was like a little white disc on the body of the camera. Yeah, that's what this one has. It, it, and, you know, I'm hoping that that's kind of like a, a supplementary white balance sensor because one of the huge advantages of having an, an on-body white balance sensor like that is if you're in the shade shooting something that's in the sun, the camera will read the white balance of the shade, the spot where the camera is, not what you were shooting. So the white balance would be off yeah. quite often. Um, you know, the big leap or advance came in when we started doing through the lens white balance. 
balance. Right. So that you, you know, the camera would read white balance of what you were actually shooting, not of where the camera was. So I'm hoping <laughs> if that's the case, that dedicated external white balance sensor that it's supplementary, that is still using the through the lens white balance reading, because otherwise that would be a step back as far as I'm concerned. Sure. And I could see the, the videographers going all over this, but really I see kind of what you're saying there with the various light changes and whatnot from where you're shooting to where you are or whatever the case is. Or just think about too putting a zoom lens on there that that could you know if, right. you're, if you're putting a 200 300 lens on there that's going to change I would think how the white balance is going to be interpreted as well so yeah for videographers who are in ultra controlled areas you know you you don't have to do uh, your white balance setting manually possibly but I don't know yeah we'll see how it goes and what the the more you know boots on the ground reviewers say about this so anyway. Another thing that I thought was interesting now in this list, we've already covered some of these things. So I'm going to skip some of those, but uh, you can actually, it says you can select certain settings that carry over between stills and video. So, you know, when you hit that button to, to go from your stills shooting to your video shooting, what are the items that stay the same? And sometimes this ticks me off a little bit when I switch over, you know, all of a sudden the ISO will change right. or all of a sudden, um, you know, all these different things will change. Well, you can actually select your aperture, your shutter, ISO, exposure compensation, metering mode, white balance setting, your picture profile, and your focus mode. All of those items you can either set, they're going to be separate for video or they're going to be the same in video as your stills. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, as, as someone who oftentimes will be shooting stills and all of a sudden I want to do a clip of video and I switch my camera from stills to video, all my settings kind of get all over the place. So yeah. it's nice to be able to carry those from one to the other and have the ability to tell which ones to carry and which ones not to carry. So that's that's pretty exciting for people who are doing both things at the same time, you know, shooting stills and shooting video. Absolutely. And so it does also support the idea of four-channel audio, which I thought was kind of interesting. It kind of confused me a little bit in how exactly it handles that. But I thought, well, for those who are interested in that, more power to you. That'll be all right. And so if you if people want to look into that, they can figure out how to get this camera to support in their video shooting the the four channel audio. It well, is I mean that that's actually the it's the Sony sells an accessory that you put on the hot shoe on the top. Oh, okay. That has XLR inputs on it. Oh, okay. So that's how you get the four channels, you know, gotcha. with that external accessory. That's the only way, as I understand it, you can get the four channels of audio. That makes so much more sense because I think I remember seeing that now and I was just kind of glossing over it when I read it. I was just because like, I don't know, the four channel audio didn't mean much to me. And again, you know, right. my bias towards the stills, to <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> breezed over it. But I wanted to throw it out there for those who are interested and think that's cool. They can dive more into it and, and see what it means for them. One of the first cameras, at least in the A7, the, the the S line anyway, that has the articulating screen. You know, normally Sony has the camera, the screens that flip up and kind of articulate that way. But this flips out to the side. And I, th I thought that was interesting because I've shot with both and I'm not sure which one I like better. I certainly would prefer their fully articulating screen. The Sony is good. Um, that it flips up or flips down so that when you're shooting down low, you can put the camera down low. You don't have to like, you know, if you put the camera on the ground, you don't have to lay on your belly to, right. look, you know, to look at the, at that screen. 
but that's about it. If you're shooting kind of to the side a little bit or something like that, you don't have the ability to move that that, that screen. So they're fully articulating I'm something that I'm really excited about. I think the reason they hadn't done it in the past, and I'm not sure why, was before because of weatherproofing. But maybe they've overcome that. I don't know. But that is also something that has me really excited, the articulating screen. And for the for the seven line, this is a first. None of the other cameras in the seven line had a full articulate okay. screen. Nice. And then it has a USB-C port for charging the battery and operating the camera. But I thought this was interesting. You can't do both at the same time. Yeah, you know, uh, like the A7R4 and the A9, they all have USB-C as well as micro USB on them. And, you know, and I, I touched about uh, on this a little earlier. One disappointment of that, because, for example, when I shoot videos, you know, for my YouTube or whatnot, I use my Sony uh, Sony A7R3, for example, like, which is the one that I have on my, on my system right now. Um, and I power that through USB. But guess yeah. what? You can't just power the camera through USB. You have to have a battery in it as well. Right. What, what it allows you to do when you power the camera through USB is allows your camera to last a lot longer. The battery is still used. So as opposed to shooting for like an hour, I can probably shoot for like four hours. But my battery still gets exhausted. Interesting. With the A7S three, what I read was that you'll be able to shoot more like 10 hours. Right. With the external um, USB-C, you, you will still lose a little bit of power over time, Interesting. but okay. it will be a lot longer. Um, and you can always charge the battery that way, too, which is, by the way, a huge thing. I had once on a trip where my battery charger died. Oh, yeah. And, you know, had I not been able to charge my batteries through the USB connection on the cameras, I would have been toast. Yeah. I like, that's the thing I like about the 6400. I can charge it and run it off the USB and it does not run down. That thing is such a Mm -hmm. low power suck. It actually charges the battery while it's running. So as it's sitting there, you're seeing me on that camera. And um, the only thing that I found super odd is I can't plug it into the computer because then it wants to connect to the computer. (laughs) And then it shuts off. You can actually... You can do that. There's a trick to doing that because I used to do that. Um, I think you what you do is you press the middle button and it should actually exit out of that. Uh, oh, really? Uh, storage. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna try that because yeah. not that it's a huge deal. I just have it plugged in the other side, you know, a standard power right. port or whatever. But if I could just plug it into a standard USB on the computer, that'd be all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll I think I'll try that out. That's good. All right. Yeah, so I, the- I used to do that so that I could transfer the files that i recorded easily sure. without having to take the card out put them in the card reader and stuff yeah. like that when it's video the only this the only disadvantage to that is that you every time you turn the camera on you've got to go through that process of letting it connect as a external drive and then disconnect it from an external drive and whatnot but it can yeah. be done yeah cool all right so the sensor resolution being at 12 megapixel it's 4240 by 2832 pixels and then I just wanted to highlight the 4K resolution, 3840 on the longest and 2160. So that's why we have that slight crop when we're shooting 4K video is rather than doing any other pixel magic, they're just kind of what well, seems like to me, they're just kind of taking those central pixels that make up the 4K and they're, that's what they're delivering to you uh, in, your, in your video feed there. You know, the the interesting thing is you know, a lot of people have come under criticism of this camera because when Canon recently released their new cameras, they can record at 8K. 
Right. Well, this one can only record it 4K. You know, my my reaction to that is, who cares? You know, 4K. <laughs> 4K is is so huge for any kind of editing process. Most people cannot edit 4K right. reliably on their desktops. Even less people can do 8K because it's such a huge amount of data being sent forward. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I think it's just more a specs thing, a specs war. Oh, yeah. think, oh, we got 8K and we have 4K. Um, yeah. I'd rather have good 4K than, than, you know, 8K any day of the week. Yeah. And um, even with mine, I mean, I just don't see since I all the video I would ever use, I literally I just put on my YouTube channel and I know right. YouTube will support 4K. But for me right now, I just with, again, with all that muscle power you need in your computer, it just makes zero sense because that's why I do so little on the YouTube, because it takes so much extra to do. I'm just like full HD resolution is enough for me and it it gets what you need out there. I have not had one person complain saying, dude, you need to do 4k and right. it just doesn't exist. Uh, that, that complaint, um, yeah, it is, the, the big, I think the big advantage is like, for example, if you look at the nature documentaries by BBC or whatnot, oftentimes oh, they yeah. shoot those at 8k. Yeah. But the reason for that is because then they can crop, they can shoot at 8k and then crop to 4k. Absolutely. For delivery. Right. So it extends that that lens and allows you to get, you know, save the shots, if you will, uh-huh. that you may have gone a little too close or cropped in too much. Well, and some of those panning shots that they do, I'm just like, oh, yeah. I know they're just going across the sensor, you know, with an 8K <laughs> shoot and a 4K delivery right. or, a, or a 1080 delivery. I know they're just traveling across the sensor. They're not really moving the camera. Right. And yeah, that's gorgeous when they do that. For sure. I love that. A uh, little side note, my dad was looking for some reason at televisions and he was like, Brent, there's an 8K television available. He was like, what's the deal with that? I was like, don't worry about it, dad. <laughs> Not only is it blasted expensive, I didn't even know what the price was. I was just right. like, no one's producing an 8K. And even if they do, I don't think you're going to want to mess with that anyway. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's, it's almost like the, the 3D TVs at this point. Yes. Yeah, for sure. All right, so a few other Sony tips to get on to. We already talked about relay recording. You've got a video, and I've got the link to this video uh, on your YouTube channel where you talked about your seven top tips for setting up your Sony cameras, and you dive into the menus. You show us exactly where to go, what to do to set these things up. Now, I only want to talk about three of these, really, because these are the three that were most interesting to me as a Canon shooter thinking about still in the back of my mind am i going to stick with canon am i going to do something else i don't know when i'm going to make this decision i'm you know my 5d mark IV is beautiful it serves me as well but that relay recording idea we've already talked about that but then you go into also a gps logging and that's one thing i just absolutely love on my i loved on my 6d and my 5d mark IV is the internal gps i have it set mm-hmm. up so it receives a signal about once every minute and it does not drain the battery. I've never had a problem with battery drain. And yes. I just, to have that in there, in the file, since I'm a travel photographer, is just, I just love it. And it's huge to me. But you talked about this idea of GPS logging. And I know a lot of people are frustrated with the idea of hooking your cell phone up to your camera to do GPS logging. And I just wanted to... I assume you have actual experience doing this since you have this as an actual tip. You must do Mm -hmm. this uh, quite a bit, I would think. So, so number one, as, as best as possible in the audio sense, walk us through that. 
certainly folks can go back and look at your video. We've got the link here in the show notes. They can tap on that so they can get the whole deal. But you know, just help me understand how convenient it is and, and, and really what's going on there with how they handle GPS logging through connecting to the app on your cell phone. Well, you know, I, let me let me first state that it is definitely not as good as what you have on the 5D Mark IV. Yeah. Having the built-in GPS receiver onto the camera is by far a better and superior way of doing this. Um, you know, if I don't know if you remember, but when the 7D Mark II came out, it had a built-in GPS on it. And it was a GPS that would chew up your battery. Even when the camera was off, the GPS was running. It would chew up your battery in about an hour. <laughs> oh, my. That stinks. Yeah. So that was terrible, terrible, terrible impl- implementation of GPS, built-in GPS. It, you know, obviously, Canon improved upon that, and now they do a great job. Now, Sony, I don't know why, maybe because they're cheap uh, or they just don't want to do it. They do not have a built-in GPS chip on the cameras themselves. So the only way to get GPS information into the camera is through a smartphone. The cool thing is that Sony has a great uh, app for the cameras called uh, – Something memories, image memories, or something like that. Now I even forget what the name of the app is. It's um, imaging edge something. Oh, they, they changed the name. Yeah. See, this is what I mean. It's like you kind of lose track of, of 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 what they say. Yeah, so you're right. It's imaging edge. Um, and what this app allows you to do is control your camera remotely, which is a great thing. You can actually see what the viewfinder is seeing on your phone. You can sit, create the settings. You can shoot pictures. You can do all sorts of stuff right from the smartphone. But one of the options that it has is also to link the camera to the smartphone to receive GPS information um, so that when you're shooting, that GPS location is tracked and added to the dial itself. There's a slight advantage um, of using the GPS on the smartphone as opposed to using a GPS on the camera itself um, in that the smartphone can get much more highly accurate GPS information because it can use all sorts of information to derive location information, not just satellites, but it can okay. use cell towers and it can use Wi-Fi hotspots nice. in order to determine GPS information. So it works really well in, in indoors as well, whereas it's just pure GPS implementations don't work indoors at all. So there is that one advantage, but that's it. The rest kind of are disadvantages. The fact you have to pair it to your phone, the fact that if you have multiple cameras, your phone can only be paired to one camera at a time. Mm, yeah. So if I'm shooting with my A7R4 and my A9, I you know I have to physically switch which one is connected to the phone or or give up on one over the other. So, um, and the process is so confusing on pairing them together. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That's why the video is so long. And even then, I've had people. I can't tell you the dozens of people have written to me say, I follow the steps. It doesn't work right. And I said, do it again two or three times. Eventually it'll come through. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. The, the app, you know, when it does connect to this can- a camera, again, I have the A6400. It's beautiful. I love it for recording video or recording yeah. stills. It's great. Either way, it works really well. But I've never looked at it. There's a there's a little option here. It's called location information linkage. That's just yep. I don't know why they use that terminology, but anyway, um, I have more problems. You know, the the camera is registered, and I have more problems just you know hitting that button that says connect me to this camera, please. 
and I always have to hit the connect to a new camera, and then that causes me to scan the the QR code on the screen, and then it works every time. But why it's unable to just when I select this camera, it's unable to just simply connect to it, even though I've done it fifty times before. I've never been able to figure out why it can't just do that. I don't, I don't know what the magic sauce is to that. And if you have any tips, I'm all ears. <laughs> no, I mean, it, so there's two types of connect. This is what's confusing about the process is because the connection for location information is separate from the connection for sure. the rest of the app. Yeah. So now having said that, I have found the GPS uh, or the location information connection is more resilient than the other one. So it actually stays on. Okay. Uh, for longer, so it works works better from that respect. But you're right in that uh, I have found that almost every time I want to connect, I got to scan that little okay. QR code on the back of the screen. So. Good to know I'm not alone. <laughs> nope, just you're like, not alone. Am I doing something <laughs> wrong? You know the yeah. the Sony the Sony people. I don't know because when I do that with my Canon, there was a time where it was even way more difficult than the Sony app. But now the Canon Connect app, I think that's what they call it. Yeah, Canon Camera Connect by Canon. Uh, that it's been a long time, but that that got really easy a while back, and I was really pleased about that. Well, you uh, know, the, the thing about Sony, Sony's not known for great software. So, <laughs> and well, that's I, I what mean, we that's sh- just being honest. <laughs> and that's what we should mention. This has a completely revamped menu system too. This A7S3. Oh yeah, yeah. and no, I, that looks pretty neat. Um, I do wonder whether that's going to trickle down to the older cameras. I've read online speculation that no, it's not going to happen. Yes, yeah. it's going to happen. You know, this is a second, the second rearranging of the new system for Sony because they've come under so much criticism for it. But you know what? I create my own custom menu. Once they added the custom menu option, I create my own custom menu, and I never go into those crazy menus. Yeah. So I, I to me, it's not a big a deal. Yeah. And why it's so difficult compared to others, I don't really know because you know I teach design and. I still haven't been able to figure out this one and to say, how would I do this one better? Because, yeah, I get lost in some of those things. And I don't know if it's just how they phrase it or categorize it or whatnot. But, yeah, I I get lost as well. I think it's how they categorize it. For example, you you would think that all the autofocus stuff would be grouped together into one autofocus area. <laughs> that would be nice. And that's not the case. If you want, if you want to change autofocus stuff, you got to go to like five different places on the menu system. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, the the organization seems to have been done more by an engineer yeah. than a design person. Yes. A, a usability person. You know what I'm saying? They, oh, yeah. they, they grouped it together how it made sense to an engineer, not how it made sense to someone, to an end user or to a you know, user experience person. Hopefully this, this, at least what I've seen of this new menu system, it's better organized in that way. Nice. Um, but, you know, I have to get my hands on it. I'm I'm really hoping it comes down to the other cameras, trickles down. We'll see. Cool. So the, the last thing on your Sony tips I wanted to make sure people knew about, because this was kind of a little bit of a mind-blown kind of an, an experience for me mm-hmm. when I saw this. Auto ISO minimum shutter speed. Explain that to us. Okay, so when you're shooting, especially when you're shooting uh, telephoto lenses, right? You have the one over rule, right? And the one over rule states that if you are shooting at, let's say, 300 millimeters, your shutter speed needs to be at least at one three hundredth of a second in order to have a sharp image, right? Right. That's a basic basic rule of photography. Um. 
what the Sony camera allows you to do is uh, adjust that one over rule. Your camera can automatically follow the one over rule when you are in aperture priority mode, which is what I shoot 95% of the time. When I'm in uh, aperture priority mode, um, the camera, and I'm using auto ISO, the camera is following the one over rule for me automatically, no matter what. It looks at, you know, even if I'm using a zoom, as I change my zoom, I go from 200 to 600, it will adjust the shutter speed and therefore maybe the ISO as well if it needs to. Obviously, this works when you have auto ISO and you have aperture priority. You have to be in that and those two things. Now, Um, this is probably the first argument or situation or technique that I've heard of that would actually make me really want to try that auto ISO because as more of a landscapist, you know, you do a lot of wildlife and things like that. More as a landscapist, I I want that 100 ISO. I might go to 200 if I'm pushed, you know. Now, let's face it, do Astro and whatnot, you do a lot higher. But, you know, I'm kind of an ISO snob that way. But when I saw this and how this reacts, I was like, you zoomed out on your 24-105, you zoomed out to 105, and it, it brought you to 125th of a second exposure. I was just like, uh, shutter speed. And then it just compensates on the ISO automatically. I was like, man, this is this is really cool. I like this feature. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, for landscape, I'm, I'm like you. I want to shoot the lowest ISO possible. Right, because we want the best image, best image quality. And when you're shooting landscapes, this doesn't come into play because usually right. I'm either, you know, I'm shooting manual in most cases when I'm shooting landscapes. So, and I'm setting my ISO down to 100, no matter right. what. But you know, but for wildlife, being able to capture an image with the right shutter speed is more important than introducing a little bit of noise. Right? I'll right. take a grainy image over a blurry image any Abs- day of the week. Absolutely. So the auto ISO and, and then the performance, the ISO performance of these cameras nowadays is so incredible that I don't hesitate shooting at 6,400 or even higher if I need to. So I set my boundaries on the auto ISO, and then the camera follows that one over rule. Now, it goes beyond that. You can actually adjust the camera to follow the one over rule or be more aggressive or less aggressive, meaning nice. that instead of doing, you know, really say you're shooting at... Uh, 100 millimeters, as opposed to setting the shutter speed at 100th of a second, you can have it do a 200th of a second. So double nice. the one over rule, or even, you know, or, or even one step more or slower. So you have that adjustability. You know, and that works for animals. For example, if I'm shooting animals that are, are uh, quick movers, like a, could be a, a wolf or a coyote or something like that, I may go to, you know, as opposed to a standard auto ISO minimum shutter speed, I'll go to faster, right? you know, to the next setting up so that I do get that extra shutter speed if I need to. And then, you know, it's one less thing that I need to worry about. I can focus more on composition and on my subject and less on the technical aspects of where's my shutter speed. Am I, you know, following the one over rule? Am I not? Just let the camera figure it out. That, 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 you know, the camera is good at figuring those numbers out. Yeah. I don't need to spend brain power on doing that. Right. And well, and you have the, the idea too, when you, when you're zooming out, it's not just the, the shake that you're needing to think about, but you know, everything is, is magnified. Every, every movement of the subject is magnified as you zoom in and things like that. So if you, if it is your goal to freeze that action, having that faster shutter speed is what you need to think about doing. And for the camera to just, to just know that the camera is going to go in this behavior 
I, I, that's just, it's just something that I can trust. You know, when I, whenever I'm in a program mm-hmm. mode or something like that, I just don't feel that I can trust the camera. Yes. And this is something, you know, you, you just know how it's going to behave and then it, it's predictable as to what you're going to get with a little bit of practice. You can just nail it. And, and again, I think about shooting with that 200 to 600 lens when you're zoomed out to 200, you know, it's going to pull you back to 200 or if you have it set to go faster, it might go 400th of a second, 500th of a second. Uh, you zoom on out, automatically it kicks that up, and it just compensates yes. for the whole idea of the magnification increase, the uh, idea of the camera shake increase that might happen. Of course, you've got image stabilization either in body or in lens, but this is still a good thing, in my opinion, to just keep at the forefront yes. for top quality captures as best as possible. You know, There's still going to be some challenges that might get in your way, but it's the, as far as the challenges of the camera... Those are getting out of the way, and I just love that. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, if you let the camera figure that out, because, again, that doesn't require a human brain to figure that out. That's really just math. Let the camera figure that piece out and focus, you know, let your brain focus on the things that the camera can't do, the things that you only you can do, which is composition and following your subject and that kind of stuff. Now, you mentioned, too, you, you threw a thing in there, something about limiting your ISO setting the boundaries to the ISO. Tell me what you mean mm-hmm. by that specifically, because I think I know what so, you mean, but I want listeners to really understand what you mean by that. So when you, on on most cameras, including Sony and the Canons too, when you set auto ISO, you can set the boundaries. You can say, you know, my auto ISO is from ISO 100 and up to 6,400. Don't go beyond 6,400. Uh, sure. Or you can say, don't go beyond 16, 1,600 if you want it to. Whatever you want it to be, you can set the lower and upper thresholds from where the auto ISO system can work. Now, if I have mine set to, let's say, 1600th of a second on the upper range, and you know I'm shooting pretty dark, and I just rack my lens out to 600, and all of a sudden, you know, the there's not enough light, and the camera thinks it needs to go beyond 1600 ISO, it won't go beyond 1600 ISO, but my 1600 and my viewfinder will turn red and start blinking. Oh, uh, okay. To tell me... Tell me, I've hit the upper limit. I need more ISO, but you won't give it to me. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. So then, yeah. then at that point, your shutter speed won't be as high as it as you would like it to be, right? Because it can't adjust for it. Right. And um, I know Canon also allows you to limit your aperture and shutter in the same way. And one time, a couple of years ago, you may not, you probably don't know this. I I had a, a small gear rental company, and. I've, I've since closed that down about two, two, two and a half years ago. But um, one of my clients sent back a 7D Mark II with the shutter limited like that. And it was just like, when I'm inspecting the camera on return, it wouldn't go above, what was it, like 250th of a second or whatever. He was obviously doing some kind of portrait or or other shoot with mm-hmm. flashes. And he didn't want it to go above a certain, you know, the sync speed for the flash. But I couldn't get my 4,000th of a second. I couldn't get my, you know, whatever of a second. I was just like, you know knocking my head silly (laughs) then i finally realized this camera has a a shutter speed limiter on it i was just like ah you know it it just all of a sudden everything was fine it was just like you know why didn't i know that before it it missed i missed that feature because i just you know never thought to use it or something but well you know it's the first time i've heard of that so don't feel bad i mean (laughs) i didn't even know that existed i don't yeah i'm pretty sure this canon the sony's don't have that okay yeah i just thought Oh, it, it was really frustrating for that 20, 30 minutes. It took me to figure that out. Yeah. But, I bet. oh, well, a less, lesson learned. And now, you know, 
several thousand people know about it now, so that's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, a couple of things that we wish Sony would do. Well, let's let's have you go first. Well, I have a long list, but I'm going <laughs> to talk, talk about just two things. All right. Um, you know, and it's, I mean, it, this is the case with any system, right? You know, my car, I wish there were some things VW had done differently. You know, anything that you, you, you always want more. That's just the nature of human beings. Yeah, I think so. Um, but uh, for me, the two biggest things is the one is kind of really specific to me and is that I wish Sony would join the rest of the photo camera manufacturers and allow us to update the firmware on the camera more easily by adding the firmware file to us uh, to an SD card, put in the camera and load it up that way, just like everybody else does. Sony, the only way to update the firmware on a camera is by tethering it to a computer and you have to update the firmware through there. Now, why is this important to me <laughs> is because, you know, I run workshops throughout the, you know, throughout the world. Um, and oftentimes I have clients who have never updated their firmware. And, um, you know, this was the case on the Sony, on the Canon, on the Nikon, any kind of camera system. But on Sony is even worse because since it's harder to do, because it needs to be tethered to a computer, less people actually update the firmware. Yeah. And I've had people with cameras with firmware 1.0, and the autofocus is not so great. With the first release of the firmware, the autofocus improved a lot, with, especially with like the A7R3. That camera improved tremendously, the autofocus system with new firmware. So I'm oftentimes having to spend time at night and get less sleep because I'm updating people's firmware cameras overnight. <laughs> um, and uh, so I would really like for Sony to make it easier for us to update the firmware. And this is a complaint of every Sony photographer that I've ever met. Everybody complains about this because even for a while on the Mac, it was like you had to jump through 10 hoops to actually oh make this work. Uh, so anyway, well, I can, yeah, I can attest. I have not even thought about updating my 6400 firmware. I don't even know if it's available, but if I were to come to that kind of hiccup, I'd be like, eh. I'll do it right. later. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and you're not alone. A lot of people are that way. And, you know, and normally that'd be okay. But, for example, Sony has done an incredibly good job at improving the cameras over time, just like Fuji has done. Yeah. Right? They're not as good as Fuji in that respect, but they've been really good about, you know, improving performance, adding new features, or whatnot through the firmware update. And especially for the A7R three, that firmware update that improved the autofocus system was a game changer. Was huge. Yeah. So when I look at cameras, people's cameras, or you know, people at workshops, they go, oh, my autofocus is kind of sucky. I look at the firmware, I'm like, well, you're in firmware 1.0. You know, we're in firmware seven now. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so give me your camera tonight, and I'll update your firmware. So, anyways. Well, and how much easier would it be, you know, to just say, I'll give you an update tomorrow, and you could just download it for them. That's still, you know, service to your customer. You hand it to them, plug it in. Takes five minutes, probably. Yeah. You're done and you move on your way and they're happy. You're happy with less, you know, hassle and all that. So uh, that would definitely be a benefit. Uh, what's your next one? You have another one here. So, yeah, um, and it's really keep improving the autofocus speed and accuracy. I mean, that's kind of a perpetual wish list, if you will. Right. The, the, the autofocus performance on these cameras is, is incredible. It's better than anything else that's been there before. But there's still room for improvement, you know, especially on the eye um, autofocus, animal eye and human eye autofocus. You know, the reviews that I've been reading is that the Canon system now, the new RF, is better in the eye autofocus system sure. than Sony. 
you know, Sony was a, kind of the pioneer on the animal eye autofocus. Apparently, this Canon eye autofocus system is better. You know, whether that's true or not, I don't know until I try them both myself. But I can see where the animal eye tracking on the Sony is okay. It's not as good as it could be. And I'm okay. sure these guys are working on it. I just want them to continue to do that. This is what has set Sony apart in that they've been actually really good about improving their systems fast and often. So I just want them to keep doing that. Awesome. Yes. How about you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, what I would love for Sony to do is, you know, I've got the 6000 model. This is 6400. But, you know, whether you got 6000, mm-hmm. 6100, 6300, whatever, it doesn't really matter. The style of the camera. Hey, you've got something there. What is that? This is a 6000 converted to infrared. Oh, nice. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had on the Latitude Photography Podcast, I had a, a conversation with uh, with um, a, a woman about, uh, Lori Roland, um, about infrared shooting. Oh, my. It, awesome stuff. Um, anywho. So, and their 7 line is great. You know, their, their standard mirrorless line, the a7Rs, the S's, etc. Um, but for me, uh, or either a range style finder, a range finder style camera, you know, like Fuji's system is beautiful uh, as far mm-hmm. as the aesthetics, as far as the styling. Um, maybe the Leica SL2, not exactly range finder style, but something along those lines. The aesthetic is beautiful, but you know, something like that is so stinking expensive. Not just the camera, but the lenses as well. So blooming right. expensive. So it's out of my reach. I, you know, even if I could afford it, I'm not sure I would want to afford it. <laughs> right, right. I but agree with you. <laughs> I and with Olympus kind of going by the wayside, I was really hoping Olympus would join the L mount system and come out with some of their classically styled 35 millimeter bodies from you know the 80s and 70s and whatnot. Uh, but I would love a stills focused camera that is classically styled, you know, smartly classically styled, much like the Fuji system is. You know, it's fine if it still does video for sure. You're going to have video capabilities, but I want the ergonomics and the experience to focus more on the pleasure of shooting stills. And I think one of these cameras does that for me, at least. I don't, maybe I'm like 0.3% of the population, but when I tried out this Fuji system, I just loved the act of shooting with Mm -hmm. it. And it was amazing. When I go to my crop sensor A6400, the technical quality is absolutely there. Beautiful, beautiful camera. I've gotten so many good things. And their kit lens, I've got the 18 to 135. Even that's an amazing lens for, for what it is. It's yes. an amazing yeah. lens. Oh, my goodness. I've gotten, I went up to um, Unalaska Island in December, got some amazing shots with this camera. And I just want, uh, if possible, I would love in this body style, it can be bigger. I don't really care, but in this body style, a little more classically styled full frame would be nice. Uh, but give me that, that more historically classically styled camera. Sony could totally do it with their e-mount system is totally flexible enough to do something like that. And they could have that, you know, right in the middle sort of camera that covers those things. And that would be something I think would be amazing. And that would probably add that to this auto ISO minimum shutter speed and relay recording. And a couple of these other (laughs) things that we've talked about, Bam, you know, that would be something that would say, okay, Canon, I love you. Been with you since 2003, but might be time to go. I don't know. Well, you know, it, I, I do love that 6000 series uh, cameras, especially for 
kind of like everyday walkabout, yeah. landscape images, that type of stuff. I absolutely love the form factor. I like the lightweight, the lenses, you know, that, that Sony makes. There's some incredibly good lenses and that crop mounting system. Um, the flexibility that you can use, the full frame lenses and the crop sensor yep. lenses on both full frame cameras and crop sensor cameras is, is awesome. Yep. Um, you know, the, my biggest beef with the small form factor is for wildlife is not that great because it's so small and the button's so small, it's hard to control right. the camera in fast action type photography. But for landscapes and, you know, kind of more subdued type photography, I think it's a brilliant system. I think that, uh, and, and I'm with you, I think it'd be cool if they came out with a, uh, a better styled camera. I know that if, for example, not so much in the US, but in Europe and in Japan, you can get them in different colors, even in silver. Oh, wow. Interesting. So the 6000 series. Interesting. So they do have the kind of, you know, they, it looks like they want to go in that direction. They just haven't fully committed, I guess. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's think about wrapping things up and um, we're going to look at our doodads of the week and then a couple of reminders for everybody. So tell us, Juan, about your doodad of the week. Well, this is actually a new product. I got it on Kickstarter just to check it out, and I actually really, really like it. Um, but now you can get it. You can order it directly from the guy who makes these. And these are these are called tech wraps. And you know how we, we, we all have these wraps that we use to wrap gear and whatnot, especially if you're putting your camera in a non-camera bag, right? You're putting it in some backpack with a yeah. bunch of other stuff. You want to protect it so it doesn't get banged up with everything that's in there. And there are a lot of different wraps out there, Donkey and I mean, I can't even remember all the different some, names. Yeah. Optech. Um, but I find all of those to kind of not be all that great. They're kind of bulky. Um, and they use Velcro oftentimes. It mm -hmm. doesn't secure as well. This new wrap system is called Tech Wrap. They're actually thin. They're not very bulky. But they're very protective. The interior is like a, a microfiber suede system that you can use as a you know to clean your camera with as well and the way that they work is it's, it's basically a traditional wrap they come in different sizes but then they have like a bungee cord that you can then use to secure it to your camera system so that it can actually be nice and tight it doesn't come off apart like it does with the uh um with the velcro so i'm really enjoying it. i think it's really well designed and uh not all that expensive Nice. Yeah. So we have a link in the show notes there with it. And it, the only thing, you know, the, on the, I'm looking at their website. And so I assume you have the standard size. Does that, that wraps around your Sony with a lens attached? Because they have it with, it looks like probably a Canon sitting on there. And it just seems like it might not be big enough for a standard Canon DSLR with a 24 yeah. 135. Okay. You're holding it up. And that's a good size. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good standard That's a really size good size. Big. Yeah, that's a really good size. A camera with a decent size lens and whatnot. So, so you can see, I know you, viewers can't see this, but you can see this one, the big one, and then here's the little one that you can also use as well. So the okay. little one works well for smaller lenses, and then the big one can work for a camera and a lens combined easily. Very cool. Yeah, it's good to see and the then, actual you know, size. Yeah, and the, the neat thing about them is, you know, the outside is this waterproof um, Cordura-style uh, nylon. Yeah. Um, so if you if you wrap this well enough, it actually becomes kind of weather resistant. Not weather, not waterproof, but sure. weather resistant as well. So it can withstand the rain or anything like that. Awesome. Yeah. Very nice. So you can see the little the cord there. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Yeah. So yeah, 
Anyways, it's great. I don't get paid by that by him or anything. I just found him on Kickstarter, ordered it, got him a few weeks ago, and I'm really enjoying them. Very cool. Looks good. How about you? What's your uh, what's your doodad? Mine is uh, by Think Tank Photo. Of course, you can get any memory card wallet, I suppose. Uh, but the memory card wallets that they have, I like how they fold over. Uh, I use the one they call Secure Pixel Pocket Rocket, and so the uh, the alliteration is a lot of fun. But it it zips closed for each item, and it just holds a boatload of SD cards or whatever your memory cards are. So it works really well. And they have three others to choose from, so whichever one fits for you guys um, works really well. And I also actually have it to hold a small tool that I have. It's kind of a little uh, multi-tool almost kind of a thing where it's a, I don't know, it can pry things off. It can It's good for camera type mm-hmm. stuff. So it's just a little kind of a, a thumb tool, basically. And uh, just a great way to keep my cards organized. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to shout out with that one there. You know, they, they think tech is sort of my favorite manufacturer of camera bags and camera accessories. So um, they do a great job. I like also, um, if you're looking for something a little smaller, the MindShift Cardigan memory wallet. Okay. Which is a smaller version of the Pixel Pocket Rocket, if you will. It holds less cards. Okay. So MindShift cardigan you said i'm trying to find well, that if you yeah in the same link that you have their mindshift is is a uh, basically right. made by think tank same company and if you go to their website on the link that you have in the show notes it takes you to all the cards and in there you can yes see the okay yes it's in the second row so i missed it yeah. right yep. very cool yes and it's basically almost the same idea it's just yeah a little bit smaller cool Right. Very nice. And I almost always like things that are smaller because, you know, <laughs> I, I want to travel light, as light as possible. Yes. And um, Polar Pro was good enough to send me one of their card, uh, one of their memory card wallets. And it's amazing. It's super rugged. And so if I were going like to the Arctic or anything, I would totally use the Polar Pro one. But it's a little bit bigger and heavier. And so, you know, when I'm out, you know, making that decision of, of what I'm going to do with where I'm going, uh, usually the Think Tank photo one gets a little bit more slim, yet it holds like two times the cards, and and that's that's good. All right, a few reminders for everyone on where to reach us, find us, and whatnot online. You can always certainly find the show notes in your listening app and uh, on masterphotographypodcast.com. That's the home for the show, and we've got an Instagram account at masterphotographypodcast. For myself, certainly head on over to brentbergherm.com. That's where I have everything on Instagram. I'm at brentbergherm. And uh, as this episode is released, tomorrow, Friday, is the last day I'm offering a special. For anyone who buys my master photo printing course, you can get, when I release finally Latitude Photography School, You could, I'm going to give you a code for one-year access to all the extra trainings that I'm releasing there. So if that's of interest to anybody, better act quick because that special is going away and I'm going to start diving super deep into all of that uh, tech stuff as far as getting it out there and getting it ready. Juan, where can they find you online? Well, the best place is obviously my website at juanpons.org. You can find links there to all sorts of things that I do online as well as my workshop. I am not super active on uh, social media, but you can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash one pawns. And I have a couple of YouTube channels that will have link in the show notes for that. And uh, I also do a uh, weekly live uh, 
we call it photo happy hour with my friend Rick Salmon every Thursday at 5 p.m. We sit around and uh, with drinks in hand and review images of people that have submitted their work on the photo therapy Facebook group. So check those out. Yeah, phototherapy, definitely a good place. Lots of good images coming through. It's a really awesome thing there. It's um, somewhat, I guess you could say, inspired by Rick's books, uh, the phototherapy book and the PhotoQuest book. And if you've listened to the Latitude Photography Podcast, I've had Rick on four times. Actually, three times. I have yet to release the fourth episode. So uh, <laughs> that's coming out next week. And um, he's, he's, he's just like, you know, just like his books. He's released something like 40 something books. And yeah, he's a very prolific guy. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the live sessions, that's actually something I should mention, too. I actually had my first one last night um, as we record this. This is Thursday as we record this. Uh, it was supposed to be Tuesday night, but I ran into some problems. My A6400, um, I accidentally had it set still to uh, output on the HDMI, a 4K signal. And then in the evening, my office, because here I'm here at the school office, they turn off the AC. And so the camera was overheating. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned more about the A6400, how to yes. downgrade that to full HD only. Uh, and then also there's a different setting on there on the overheating auto shutoff. You can actually set right. it to a higher temp. And I had zero problems once that came about. So that was awesome <laughs> to finally figure that out, even though I had a hiccup Tuesday night. Oh, well, it's all good. All yeah, right. We, we all go through those and we learn from them for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thanks so much, Juan, for being here. I really appreciate you spending the time with us and uh, looking forward to whenever it is we chat again. Thank you for having me. really enjoyed it and look forward to the next time as well. Awesome. And everyone out there in Listenerville, thank you so much for being here and we'll catch you again in another seven days. 